This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash check the locks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks presents True Crime for the Short on Time. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying bite-sized true crime case. Before we get started, as always, Olivia, it's wonderful to see you. Again, so happy to be back and hanging out with you and getting to do these recordings together. How have you been? How's your night? How's your week? Tell me what's up. Oh, everything's just peachy, you know. Doing the same old thing, podcasting, schooling, went to Mexico on a little vacation, and yeah, back at work. I'm glad that everything has been going well. I hope you had a wonderful vacation, and again, this is always a highlight of my week is getting to hang out with you and record these episodes, so I'm super happy to be here and getting to do it, especially after that weird break that we had, but that's enough about that. This is a short on time episode. I don't have a lot of time. I know you don't have a lot of time. Our listeners are like, you're back together. Just get into the case. And I am excited for this one because I looked at your notes. I am familiar with this case. I'm super excited to talk about it. But what do you think? Anything we need to know? Should we just jump in? Should we quit with the Gabby Gabby? Get to the stabby stabby. What are you thinking? Yeah, let's just get started. I am down. Let's do it. Brooke Preston was a vibrant young woman who grew up in Pennsylvania. In 2017, she was living in West Palm Beach, Florida with her sister to attend college. Shortly after, Randy Herman Jr., who was a longtime friend of the sisters, moved to Florida and lived with them. Brooke had graduated and earned her associate's degree, and she was planning to move in with her boyfriend who lived in Buffalo, New York. The night before she was to move out, Brooke had told her friends about finding a naked Herman drunk in her closet. Because of this, Brooke felt uncomfortable and did not stay at home that night. But in the morning, she returned to grab a shirt that she left behind before she would leave town. Sadly, Brooke would never make it to Buffalo. That morning, Herman called 911 and said someone has been murdered. When the dispatchers asked what he had seen, he responded, Just send the police. It was me. I'm sorry. When the authorities arrived, they found a grisly scene. 
Brooke was found bloody and stabbed to death. Her body was covered with a blanket. Now, Herman initially told police that Brooke walked into his room, grabbed the shirt, the pair hugged, and he went back to sleep. He said the next thing he knew, he was standing over Brooke's badly mutilated dead body with a knife in his hand. Police immediately noticed the blood stained on his shirt and the wounds on his hands. And the hunting-style knife was found at the crime scene. Autopsy results would prove that Brooke had more than 25 stab wounds to her back, throat, and abdomen. She also had defensive injuries to her left hand. The gruesome case seemed pretty straightforward, but the defense would end up throwing a curveball. This case is so crazy, and I know we're about to get to the craziest part of the whole thing. I don't know about you, but knowing this case and just thinking about this young girl who was living with her sister, Herman was a like childhood friend of theirs. They'd known each other forever. And, you know, they were just college kids. They were mm-hmm. living in a house together and drinking and just having fun, trying to make it through school. And I'm sure she was super excited because she was starting a new chapter in her life and, you know, going to be with her boyfriend. And then something like this happens. And I mean, 25 stab wounds is just brutal. You know, mm-hmm. it's that's overkill to say the least. So I don't know if you had the same kind of feelings as we were going through, but I'm just like this poor girl. Yeah, it's a lot. In this case, I kind of shortened down to make it fit a short on time, just kind of like to get to the points. But there's definitely some interesting details in it that the listeners can read about. Yeah, we'll talk about it a little bit towards the end. But there's also a really good documentary that uh, people can watch. That's how I learned about this case. And it is super fascinating. But I digress. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Let's keep going because I know things are about to get wonky donkey up in here. Now, Randy Herman Jr. was arrested and charged with the murder of his longtime friend, Brooke Preston. But when the trial started, the defense argued that Herman did commit the murder, but it wasn't his fault. It had all taken place while he was sleepwalking. The defense argued that he was not guilty by reason of insanity due to sleepwalking, and they would work to establish a history of Herman's condition. His mother would tell detectives that her son had a history of sleepwalking, and she recalled a time when he actually rode his bike to her work and had no recollection of it. Now, to say that the murder was attributed to sleepwalking, the defendant must meet a certain criteria, and that includes an attacker with a history of sleepwalking, no apparent motive, and a victim who was well-loved by the attacker. Herman had a history of sleepwalking, and he did seem to care for Brooke, but was there a motive? According to the prosecution, sleepwalking was not a possibility, and they argued that there was a sexual motivation behind Brooke's murder. They recalled Brooke telling her friends that she was uncomfortable in her home when she found Herman drunk and naked hiding in her closet, only one night before she was murdered. According to the prosecution, Herman had a history of heavy drinking and several DUIs, but there was no clear evidence that Brooke and Herman were ever romantically involved. The team questioned the defense's story of sleepwalking, and they argued that there was no way that Herman was able to wake up, meet Brooke, return the shirt, and fall asleep before she could even leave the house. Additionally, a forensic psychiatrist testified for the prosecution to say that Herman could not have possibly been sleepwalking through such a heinous act of violence. They even brought in a familiar story that Herman's father was accused of murdering his girlfriend in 2015. He would die by suicide prior to justice being served. Now, the jury would deliberate for five hours before reaching a verdict. And Randy Herman Jr. was found guilty of first-degree murder in the fatal stabbing of 21-year-old Brooke Preston. 
at the sentencing, Jordan Preston, Brooke's sister, spoke on how she and her family's lives have changed since the death of her sister. Randy Herman Jr. is currently serving a life sentence at Hardy Correctional Facility in Bowling Green, Florida. He would later write a letter stating, I believe that what happened in my case could have been a culmination of tremendous stress, depression, trauma, and alcohol that essentially resulted in some unexplainable mental breakdown. I am beyond sorry. Part of me feels like I deserve a life sentence, but the other part of me knows I did not intentionally do this and I deserve a second chance at life. this week's episode john so this case is so crazy and as i had mentioned i know i i had talked about the documentary there's a documentary on hulu that is called dead asleep Mm -hmm. and it is all about this case and it was a little controversial when it came out because brooks family did not want to participate in the documentary and they also asked that they not make the documentary and the filmmakers were like, well, you know, we're going to make it anyway, which, you know, you can't stop somebody from doing something like that. But I think because of that, you only hear one side of the story right. and they do, you know, talk a lot about the science behind sleepwalking and almost like a, a disassociative state. Like I, I sleepwalk, I talk in my sleep, I sleepwalk. You know, Olivia, I've, I've talked to you about it, but I have a problem where I sometimes I snore way too loud. And so Kara has like gotten up and gone to sleep on the couch. And there have been times where she has woken up and I am sleepwalking and just standing at the edge of the couch, which if you wake up to a man that looks like me standing in the dark at the, you know, by your feet. It's pretty scary. <laughs> yeah, it's probably, you know, very startling. But then I have no idea. I turn around and go back to bed. You know what I mean? So it, it is it is very weird. But I do have a hard time thinking that, like, you could wake up, be cognizant enough to be like, oh, hey, I'm going to miss you. Like, here's your shirt, whatever. And then be back asleep in a deep enough sleep in such a short amount of time yeah. that you would be able to to do something like that. Yeah, it's the timing for me. Like, there's there's just it just doesn't seem plausible. And I know in the documentary, if I remember correctly, there is an implication that Randy Herman Jr. was into her, like maybe had like a Mm -hmm. a crush on her. There was some kind of attraction. There's definitely more details, you know, to the story, but it was kind of like, let's just talk about what happened, Um, you know, because it was a short on time. But it definitely seemed that they had some sort of maybe on his end more of an infatuation or a connection that maybe she didn't reciprocate. Because she was obviously moving to live with her boyfriend. Sometimes I catch flack for this, but I know it's possible for men and women to be platonic friends. Mm -hmm. But I'm also of the old school where I think there are a lot of guys out there who will be a platonic friend until they get a chance to shoot their shot. Oh, 100%. You know, and maybe shooting your shot is like, I'm going to get drunk, get naked and like, Jump out of her closet and be like, are you into this? You know what I mean? And then if you get rejected, you know, so I don't don't know. There's a there's a lot of craziness to the story where in watching the documentary, I would like to think that this guy was in some kind of altered state where he truly doesn't remember doing it. But then there's like the logical part of my brain that's like, Mm. it's you know, it's a crazy 
It's like the guy who shot Harvey Milk and was like, oh, it's because I eat too much fast food. You know what I mean? Like it altered my, you know, it's like it's right. It's weird. And regardless, I think it's still heartbreaking that here's this 21 year old girl who just works super hard to graduate from college. And she's about to start this new chapter in her life. And whether he remembers doing it or not, like that was taken from her, you know? So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think it's, it's, it's pretty frightening on a couple different levels, but should we jump into the deadbolt test? Yeah. Where are you putting this one? So for me, I'm going to put this at an eight, which may be a little high, like compared to what people may be thinking or something like that, because I know it is like such a crazy, like how often does something like this really happen where it's like I was sleepwalking. I think the thing that really gets to me is as a parent, especially as a parent of a of a daughter, I know someday there's a day where she's going to be out on her own and she's going to be with her friends and as a parent, you can't really, you know, you can't watch them 24 seven. You have to trust them to make good choices. And it sounds like for the most part, Brooke was making good choices, but it's the idea that like, you don't know what's happening with the people around them. You know what I mean? So this is one of those things that if Millie has her mom smarts and she's lucky enough to get into like a good college someday, you know what I mean? Like when I'm packing all her stuff off and like waving her goodbye, I could see myself reflecting back on this as part of like my internal fear and anxiety about her leaving, you know? So I'll, yeah. I'll put it in eight. I definitely think I'll be thinking about this. And I know after I watched the documentary, it was on my mind for a while too. So yeah, I'm definitely have to go and watch that. I think I'm going to put it at like a seven and I'm putting it at a seven, not because it's going to make me go check my locks, but it's because it's her friend. It was someone she knew and someone she trusted. And I don't feel that he was sleepwalking and killed her without knowing it. Do I think people sleepwalk? Absolutely. I mean, you're, proof of that. But do I think that that's, it's just the timing. It seems like it was all too quickly. There's no way he could get back into that deep of a sleep where he is so out of it that he stabs his friend over 25 times. So. Yeah. Cause I mean, I've slept walk since I was a kid. Like I've, my mom has told me stories about like where her and my dad would be sitting at the table playing cards with like another couple And I would come out of my room. I would open the cupboard where the trash can was. I would take the lid off the trash can. I would pee into the trash can (laughs) like it was a toilet, put the lid back on, and then go back to sleep. Like, that is the stuff. Or, you know, if you're on Ambien and somebody's like, I'm making a three-course meal. I cooked a Thanksgiving turkey. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That stuff where I'm like, wow, that's weird. But I guess if you're, like, that deep asleep, I, I get it. But to stab somebody 25 times, like... Halloween Michael Myers style and be like, I was asleep through the whole thing is very hard for me to believe. The other thing though, is that obviously there's a precedence for this happening because there's qualifications that you have to meet. So that means somebody has killed someone sometime in the past. Sleepwalking, sleepwalking, you know? Right. So it's like, well, you know, maybe it's, it's one of those things where I, I really don't think we'll ever know, you know? Right. And it's, that's what, again, we've talked about this before, but that's one of those things that gets frustrating about doing this podcast where you're just like, well, I just want to know the definite answer. And it's like, well, you're never going to. Yeah, just let us know. Why did you do it? What was your motive? Were you really sleepwalking? We'll never know. Yeah. And like I said, in the documentary, it's crazy because he seems like genuinely remorseful, but you also don't know if it's like he's sure. remorseful because he doesn't remember doing it or if he's remorseful because he does remember doing it. And right. he, you know, he's like, oh, I made a giant mistake, you know? Well, that is where we fall on the deadbolt test. But as always, we got to throw it out to the locksmiths. 
Where does the sleepwalking murder of Brooke Preston fall on your deadbolt test? You can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. You can find us on Twitter at Check the Locks. And if you're not in our Facebook group, what are you doing? Come hang out with us. We would love to get to know you and spend a little time with you. And as always, if you like what we do, you want to support us, you want to help us keep the lights on, you can do so by becoming a patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks, get signed up today. We got a lot of great benefits, exclusive stickers, t-shirts, coffee mugs, all sorts of stuff just for being a patron. Plus you get the episodes ad free and early. So if you love check the locks, but you hate commercials, Patreon is the best way to listen. So if you like what we do, again, you want to help us out a little bit. That's patreon.com forward slash check the locks. Go ahead, get signed up today. And as always, if you cannot financially support the show, we definitely understand just listening, telling your friends and family about this podcast, spending time with us every week means just as much, if not more. So if that is you, you're sending those texts out, you're encouraging people to listen. Just know that we appreciate that more than we could ever tell you. Again, that is going to help us get in front of new listeners. It's going to help us grow our community, our family, and that is our ultimate goal. So if you are helping us to do that, Again, we appreciate you more than we could ever tell you. That is all that we have for this week's case, but please make sure that you are subscribed to Check the Locks on your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. We will see you next week with a brand new, truly terrifying, bite-sized true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.